Lord and our God, King of the universe. We are thankful for your love and we're thankful for your word that you've given to us. We're thankful, Lord, for it speak to us, speaks to us down through the ages. And we're asking, Lord, that you would speak to us again right now from your written word, from your uh, miraculous past, and, and that you continue to work in our present and into our future. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Our topic tonight is regarding Elisha and the lepers. It's actually going to take place over two chapters. I don't know why they divided the chapters the way they did regarding the story, but they did. Starting in chapter 6, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his armies, in verse 24, all of his army, and besieged Samaria. And that was the capital of the northern ten tribes of the tribes of Israel. And there was a great famine in Samaria. Indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. 80 shekels, about 32 ounces, uh, worth about $650 for a donkey's head. And one-fourth of a dove droppings for five shekels of silver, about two ounces, in uh, equal to, uh, not. The dove dropping is not two ounces, but the five shekels is two ounces, which would be of, of silver, which would be worth about $40. So, I mean, a donkey's head is definitely not a clean thing to eat. Uh, I don't know how much you could get off it anyway. Um, but, uh, so I don't know what they would do with a donkey's head, right? Um, the dove dropping, I don't know if dove dropping is clean or unclean food or not. I don't know. <laughs> doesn't sound too clean to me. It doesn't sound too good to me. And it certainly doesn't sound like it's worth $40 <laughs> for, a, for a quarter of a dove dropping. Or maybe a dove dropping, but not a quarter of a dove dropping. <laughs> $40. That's how bad the, um, the siege was and the famine was between the combination of the two, not having, having any food. Uh, and I don't know if any of us here have gone through that type of strait, that type of hunger, that type of... Uh, uh, difficult situation where uh, you'd be so desperate to eat a dove dropping, pay $40 for it, or a donkey's head, and pay $650 for it. I pray that none of us have to go through that. And certainly none of us have to, have to go through that, right? As we'll see in this story, which will help us into our future. Verse 26, and as the king of Israel was passing by, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? What is troubling you? And, uh, and so that's pretty heavy. I mean, he's, God is not helping you, so what am I gonna do for you? Pretty faithless response, right? Um, no encouragement there, no hope there. No trying to lead the, Lord, the lady to, to trust in the Lord, hang in there, God will come through, or fasting and praying. No, God's not helping you, he's not helping me. What, what can I do for you? But he does ask, well, what's troubling you anyway? At least he has a little bit of compassion on the lady to listen to her story, she's crying out, and so he's doing his kingly duty, and at least listening to her. In his mind, God's not doing his kingly duty, and so he'll, he'll listen to her complaint. And she said, this woman said, give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow, 
And so we boiled my son and ate him. And then the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she hid her son. And the king tore his clothes. And underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Horrible. Horrible. And again, as, as faithless as this king is, he at least has enough uh, compassion and humanity by God's spirit upon him, that much at least, that he is stricken by this story, that it hurts him, that he rents his garments, and that he is grieved by this. And at least he has been grieving about the famine and the siege and the problems that they're facing, that he is wearing sackcloth underneath his garment. So he has been fasting at least to some extent. He has at least been manifesting some type of a, a worry and concern about the situation that they're in uh, to that extent. And he, and he hasn't been showing it outwardly. It was underneath his clothes. But he, he has been feeling it, wearing the sackcloth. So he's feeling it in his heart. He's feeling it in his body, on his body, and covered it up with his clothes. But he just hears this story. It just cuts him to the... To the, to the heart and he just rips his clothing and then the, the, the rest of the people there can see that underneath his clothing he's wearing sackcloth. But it doesn't seem to trouble this lady at all. It doesn't seem to trouble this lady at all that she ate her son. What's troubling her is this other lady's not giving her son. And I don't know what the plans they had for the third day. If they ate one son in one day, it must have been just a tiny baby. That certainly is not a clean food to eat. So the depths of despair, how low can you get? I don't think you can get much lower than that, or any lower than that. That is, is just really, really sad. Desperate and, and, and lack of faith, no hope at all. I guess after that, you start cutting your own body parts off. I don't know. And, and, and eating them, I don't know. What do you do after that? You're eating your own children that you bore. The second lady, I mean, she's unfaithful to, to, to eat this lady's son. <laughs> she has a compassion on her own son, or maybe selfish, on her own son, and doesn't eat, eat him, hides him. Oh, horrible, horrible situation. Now, I guess if we think in the context of the surrounding nations and, and, and where northern Israel was going, even had gotten to the point of sacrificing their children to the Baal, right, and gods like that, that's in her mind just a sacrifice. So when we get away from God's word, when we get away from the true God, how far and how low we can fall. Verse 31, and the king said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elijah remains on him today. Now, I don't know why, and the king hears this story, I mean, it just then breaks him, right? I mean, he just has been grieving, he's wearing sackcloth, he's concerned, and he hears this story, he rips his garments, but it even goes so far that he is just angry at somebody, he's got to blame somebody, he's already blaming God. You know, God's not helping you. What am I going to do? God's not helping us. And now he's blaming Elijah for their problems. Horrible. Again, it shows you when we get away from God, when we get away from his truth, when we re resist God's spirit, we don't take accountability for anything. 
The king has not seen that. It had anything to do with them worshiping these golden calves uh, or Baal previously or, or any of the other problems in the nation. But he's blaming it on God and blaming it on God's servants. And we're not sure exactly which king this is. It could have been any number of kings at this point. But, uh, but very sad testimony. But we have a tendency to do that too. I was, uh, I was uh, over eating uh, lunch at someone's house one time, and, and they were just chewing up one minister after another. I mean, they were just going to town. And, uh, uh, and uh, they, they, they turned to me and kind of stopped for a moment, at least one lady did, and, and stopped for a second and said, oh, excuse us, uh, we're just having uh, the ministers for lunch today. <laughs> you know, they're just chewing them apart, you know? And that's what this guy's doing to Elijah. He's just chewing them apart, trying to want them beheaded, putting all the blame upon him. And that's where we, again, we can go. We can just get to the point of just blaming everybody else for our problems. It goes back to the very beginning, right? Lucifer blaming God, Adam and Eve blaming each other and blaming the serpent and blaming God. And that's just when we get away from God, that's the end result. We stop being accountable, we stop being responsible, and we start looking for scapegoats to cast the blame upon. And history repeating itself, and this story here is a very prophetic of last day events. I believe we're going to get to a place where, again, there's going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be a straight time, a difficult time. The Bible says it's more difficult than the earth has ever seen before. And so more difficult than the story, more difficult than anything this world has ever seen. And there's a lot of atrocities going on in the world today and, and, and has been down through the ages. The Bible predicts it's going to get even worse than ever before he finishes off this earth, before he lets our probation run out. He's going to let it get to the worst it's ever been. And who will they blame? Who is they blaming here? Who is the king blaming here? Those that are following God. And that's how it'll be again in the last days. History will repeat itself again. It says the devil is wroth and angry with the woman, referring to God's people, and went to make war with the remnant, the last remaining bit of God's people, those who keep the commandments of God, and have the faith of Yeshua. Revelation 12, 17. So there will be an attack again. While they're excusing their own sins. Excusing their own mistakes. And choices. Justifying them. And then the calamities come upon them and upon the world. And then they blame those that are following God. It happens over and over again. It's happened down through the ages. The story is just one of many. And we will see that happen again. So do not be surprised. We get blamed again. The Bible says brother will rise up against brother. Children against their parents. Parents against their children. So don't be surprised when it takes place again. And don't join with those that are condemning. Don't join with those that are eating other people. You know, verbally and attacking and 
spiritually. Don't join with them. Those are obviously the wrong crowd. We need to stay bound together in the Lord's love. Bound close to him. Holding fast to him. Steadfast by his side. Letting him write his laws in our hearts and in our minds. And having his faith lived out in our lives. Be among God's remnant. Be among God's people. In these last days. So the attack is on. He's blaming Elijah. And he wants him beheaded. Not just called before the council. Not just tried. Not just thrown in prison. Not just shut up. But beheaded. Why? Because this lady ate her son. Why? Because the Syrians are out there besieging the city. Why? Because God is not protecting them in their rebellion. That's how it'll be in these last days. And we're quickly seeing it move that way. We see right now how the nation of Israel is demonized over and over again all throughout the world. At the UN, in many countries of the world, Europe is on that fast track. And other countries that have long been in that area continuing to heap scorn and blame, blaming all the problems of the Middle East on this little country. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That's, let's boycott that country. The only democracy in the Middle East. Let's boycott that country. Crazy. You know, let's, let's do business, though, that with, with the ones that are threatening to annihilate them. Totally backwards, totally upside down. But that's what we see here. The king is not running to Elijah for help. He's not running to God for help. Wanting to rid the earth of those that are called by God. Those that are following God. History is repeating itself and it will continue to repeat itself. Just signs where we're at. And God says, when we see these signs... Look up, because our redemption draws nigh. Means we're close to home. We're almost there. So it can give us hope and rejoicing through that time. Verse 32, still chapter 6, 2 Kings. Elijah was sitting in his house with the elders. And Elijah said to the elders, the son of a murderer has sent someone to take my head. When he comes, hold him fast at the door. So God's speaking to Elijah. God's telling Elijah what's going on. Elijah's in this house. He's not worried. He's not fretting. He knows they're coming to kill him. God has warned him they're coming to kill him. Is he panicking? Right? So as we just discussed, what the Bible predicts, do we need to worry about that? No. Elijah wasn't worried. We don't have to worry either. They can have my head if they want it. They took a donkey's head for 650. I mean, if they can get 450 for my head, they, they can have it. You know? <laughs> Whatever makes them happy, it doesn't matter. Right? My eternity is sealed with God. I don't have to worry. I am in God's hands. I don't have to worry what they do to the flesh. And Elijah's not worried. Calls his king the son of a murderer. It's interesting to know which king he's referring to. It could have been any one of them, really. That son of a murderer. He's come hold him fast, and there's elders with him. So there are some faithful ones who are there with Elijah. It's not the majority. 
It's a minority. They're in the house. They're fitting in the house. But there are some there, and they are there with him. Remain faithful. Now, what's interesting is Elijah is inside Samaria at this point. Now, we've seen in the past, he's been in other places. He's been in Dothan, been in other places. But here, during the siege, during the famine, he is inside Samaria. He could have been anywhere else. He could have chosen to go. God could have sent him like he did to Elijah prior, you know, hit him by a brook and fed him with ravens. Could have sent him up uh, to, uh, I forget the name of that city, it was up in, now in Lebanon, it's called Lebanon now, and had a widow woman there taking care of him and pouring, you know, the water and the oil not running out and the, and the flour not running dry. Could have provided for him a lot of different ways. Could have put him a lot of different places. God could have sent them down to Judah at this time. Judah's following the Lord. Judah's worshiping in the temple. Judah's, the, the southern tribes are, are faithful to God. God could have sent them down there if he wanted to protect them. But Elijah stayed where he was called to be and remained the light where God had him in this dark world. God's not calling us to poof out of this world. God's calling us to stay in this world and to be a light onto the nation. That's what God's called us to. See that throughout the scriptures. God doesn't whisk us out of trouble. He sees us through trouble. And that's what God's doing for Elijah here. And Elijah's not worried. He's staying there. He's at peace. He could have run like Elijah before him, run to the cave, run, run to uh, Mount Sinai, hid. He doesn't. He stays there. Not afraid. Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah. He ran. Elijah's not running. They're coming to take my head, I'm not running. He's staying. He's holding fast. God will give us the strength and the courage and the power to hold fast. We won't have the strength in our own power, in our own, no matter how tough you think you are, we will not have the power. But God can give us the power. Miraculously, God can give us the power to not be afraid. To remain faithful. So it means to have the faith of Yeshua. Not just faith in Yeshua, but to have his very faith filling us. To have his spirit come into us. To allow God to cleanse us of everything of itself. All fear, all worry, all insecurity, all self-will, all self-power, all self-trying to overcome sin. Allow him to take us away, bury us away, bury us in, at Calvary's hill, bury us in Yeshua. Allow us to die with him and to resurrect us new life. For him to come inside us and live through us. Again, not faith in him, but his very faith coming in us and living out through us. That's what Yeshua came and demonstrated. That God can live through flesh and gain the victory. And that's what he wants to do again. God wants to indwell in our flesh and live out through us and gain the victory comes down to our choice. Do we want to choose? There was nothing special about Elijah. He wasn't born special or anything like that. He wasn't a superman born with some special powers. He was just like us. Faced temptation just like us. He gained the victory through trusting in the Lord, through choosing to trust God over his circumstances. There was nothing in Elijah that's not available to us. And Yeshua, as he surrendered himself, there was nothing in him naturally either. 
So then he chose and received and continued in the walk that God had given to him. So he tells him to hold the messenger fast until the king comes. And so then when the king arrives, verse 33, while he was still talking, the king and his servant came, and the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Well, that's backwards reasoning. The calamity is not from the Lord. The, calamity, the Lord might have allowed the calamity because of their sins or because he's trying to teach a lesson or for whatever reason, God has allowed the calamity. But that is why we need to wait for the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Because that's what God's called us to do, is to wait upon him. Wait upon the Lord. He shall renew our strength. He shall mount us up on wings as eagles. Over and over again, the scriptures tell us to wait upon the Lord. That's where the Lord gets the glory, as we wait upon him. It's not faith if, we, if he's there before we waited for him, if he's there before we trusted in him, if, if he's there doing things for us. We, we, we take it for granted as we do many things in life. We take life for granted. We take getting up in the morning for granted. We take eating for granted. We end up taking life for granted because we, we, it goes too good. We take it for granted. We forget about it. Sometimes he reminds us of our need of him. So the very reason the king is saying, why should I wait for the Lord, is the very reason he needs to wait for the Lord, to see the Lord come through to see what God can do. And God's waiting for him. That's what God's waiting for. Why hasn't Messiah returned? He's waiting for us. Will I find faith in the earth? He's waiting for us. He's waiting until we're ready. He's waiting until we're sealed. He's waiting until we're filled with his spirit. He's waiting till he knows that we will be able to be seen through that time of trouble that such as the world has never seen. Because he needs to have a people that are able to go through it. And so he's holding back the winds of strife until we are ready for it. And then he says, I'm going to let you shine now. You're ready. I want the universe to see faith demonstrated in the earth. And then he can let it go. And then literally all hell can break loose and God will be glorified in his people. And it will be seen that it is possible to trust God no matter what. To remain faithful no matter what. While Elijah's sitting there, do you think he's eating dub droppings and donkey heads? No, I don't think so either. God is sustaining him and those other elders. I don't know how. I don't know if ravens are coming in and feeding him. I don't know if God's just giving him the ability like he gave Moses to not eat and not drink for 40 days. But God's sustaining them miraculously, and God can stay, sustain us. We don't have to eat donkey heads. We don't have to eat dumb poop, right? We don't. I don't care how tight it gets. You say, oh, well, there's no food. It doesn't matter. We don't have to. Again, Elijah was there. There was no food. God brought ravens to feed him. I poured oil out of almost empty water, uh, oil jugs, and bread out of almost, uh, flour out of almost empty flower pots. God can sustain us. God can provide for us. He often waits till the very last. We only got one up for one little 
loaf of bread left. That's when he comes in. It's waiting till the end. That's the whole key, is waiting till the end. God has a way of not being early. He's never late, though. But he's rarely early. He waits until just the right moment, just till the very end. Strengthens our faith. We've seen that over and over again in the scriptures. Part the Red Sea, just at the right time. And it'll be that way again. And so we need to wait. Why should we wait any longer? Because that's when God comes through. When we wait upon him. Waiting for the last moment. And Elijah and these elders, they're waiting. They're at peace, they're praying, no doubt. They're trusting, they're reading the scriptures, they're reviewing God's word. And they're waiting. There should never be a time where you feel you have to compromise on God's word. We never have to break one of God's commandments in order to fulfill one of his promises. Such as he promises to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Well, our needs aren't being met. There's a famine in the land. There's no food. So I got to eat a donkey head. No, we don't have to eat a donkey head. God will provide for all our needs. We need to wait upon him to fulfill his promise to us. Not for us to run ahead, as Abraham made the mistake of doing, as Moses made the mistake of doing. We need to learn from these accounts and learn from the right accounts like Elijah and wait for God to come through. We put God's first, follow his laws, and leave it with him. Trust him in him. Wait upon him. Like the story that, that Gloria read tonight. Family, the father says, no, we're not going to take God's funds. We're not going to take God's money. We're going to wait upon the Lord. And the Lord provided. Amen. I go for a ride, ride in the middle of the night and there's these boxes of food. God can provide. Miraculous ways. And that's great to see him. We say, why don't we see more miracles? Because we're not waiting on the Lord. We're not giving him a chance to work. We're not allowing him to work. Elijah and the servants there, they're waiting upon the Lord. The king's not waiting. That's the problem. And that'll be the problem in these last days. Calamities will come, there'll be terrorism, there'll be natural disasters. We haven't seen anything. All the markets will crash. All the value of everything will be nothing. Donkey head costs six fifty. How much would anything else be worth? The land, your gold, your stocks, be worthless. All be gone. Except our faith in the Lord. Trusting in him. God's calling us to be Elisha's. Trust in the Lord. Then it goes into chapter 7. I don't know why it switches chapters right there. It seems like a kind of funny break there. But 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And Elijah said, right? So in the middle of a conversation, it changes chapters, right? So Elijah said, thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seeth of fine flour, about 8.3 pounds, will be $8.00 and shall be sold for a shekel, for seven dollars. 
and two seeds of barley, about 16.6 pounds, today worth about $16, will sell also for a shekel, also about $7, at the gate of Samaria. And so he said, tomorrow, prices are going to be okay. We'll be able to buy things at about their value and even better than their value. By tomorrow. Does Elijah seem worried? Does Elijah seem afraid? We can trust in the Lord and wait upon the Lord. King says, why should I wait? Because God's going to come through tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wait till tomorrow. And an officer answered the man of God, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elijah said, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Can God make windows in heaven? Pour out, isn't there a text like that? We put him first, return all your tithes into the storehouse, and he will open up to us the gates of heaven, right? Pour out a blessing so much that we cannot receive it. He is able to open the windows of heaven and pour out more of a blessing than we can hold, more than we can ever acquire in our own. We trust in him, put him first, rely upon him, and wait upon him. We have faith, we believe, he shows us his word, by his grace, we follow that, and then he continues on doing the rest. So this guy, this unfaithful servant, God can't do that. Well, you're going to see it, but you won't get to eat it. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Pretty clever. Pretty clever. There were four lepers men at the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we enter the city, the famine is there. We will die. If we sit here, we die. Let's surrender to the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we will live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Hey, what do we got to lose? We're dying here, we'll die there, we'll go there, and they'll die there. Maybe the Syrians will keep us alive. I don't know why the Syrians would want to keep some lepers alive. The Syrians certainly don't want the lepers in the camp. Right? But maybe they'll throw them a portion of food. Get out of here. You know, throw them a bone or something like that, right? They think, well, maybe they'll just give us some food. Maybe they'll have some mercy, right? This army that's surrounding the city to destroy it, they might have some mercy. But I guess they figure, hey, at least it'll be quick death. Instead of this slow death between leprosy and the famine, all they can do is kill us, right? We'll go charge it in there. They won't want us anymore. It's kind of kamikaze, you know. But whatever. God puts this on their minds, right? For whatever reason. They get to this reason. They kind of reason this out. They go for that. All right. Good reasoning. All right. We're dying. We're going to die. We'll just go die. Maybe we'll live. Right? Certainly we can't live in the city. Can't live out here. Let's go to the Syrians. They arose at twilight, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. The Lord caused the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and horses of a great army. And so they fled and left their tents, horses and donkeys, and fled for their lives. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> I mean, God is so good. Is that hard for God? I mean, was that hard? <laughs> God could just do that, just make a little sound, right? <laughs> I mean, the God of the universe, who created the universe, who put everything in place, who 
put this little tiny world in place, put a couple little things on it. In seven days, it speaks. He can make a sound, right? Makes a little sound, comes this little. That's it. That wasn't hard. And they run. And the king and his servant, they're thinking, oh, there's, how, how are we going to get out of here? They could have done that. Got a little tape recorder and put it out there. I mean, they could have done that. Speakers. Yeah, some speakers, right? God comes through, does this little thing, and they're gone. Right? We look at our problems. Oh, there's no way out. There's no way out. Oh, there's no way out. Again. Oh, it's horrible. There's a sword hanging over my head. Oh, you know. My problems, my problems. Taurus is Taurus is Oh, What are we going to do? Sorry, Bang. Worry, 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 worry. God has a thousand ways. He can just send the noise and they're gone. Right? There are other times we've seen God do other things. Gideon with 300 men. You know, we've seen lots of things. One angel comes, boosh, they're all dead. They killed each other, right? Warring armies against us, killed each other. God has lots of ways. I don't know, I think he likes to play with different ways, you know. He's creative, let's see what I can do this time. He's got lots of ways. We might not be able to see it. We can't think of it. I don't know if Elijah and the elders are there thinking, oh, what could God do? Well, he could do this, he could do that. I don't know, you know. Maybe they thought that up or not. One time again, we read that Elijah got blinded the whole army, right? Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing. So how big is your problem? What's your problem? What's your problem? You're in a famine. You have a whole army around you. You have a king coming with a couple of soldiers to cut off your head. How big is your problem? You have not any food for days, and even donkey heads are six hundred and fifty dollars. How bad is your situation? Is your situation this bad? If not, God can handle your problem. Believe me, <laughs> He can handle this problem. He can handle our problems, right? Nothing is too hard for him. We can trust in him. We can lay our problems at his feet. Wait upon the Lord. Trust the Lord. Key for us is just to make sure our lives are in harmony with him. If our lives are in harmony with him, we'll be able to flow with it. If our lives are not in harmony, then we can get them in harmony. We confess the sin, ask him to change us, take out the old heart, take out the old mind, take out the way we think, take out our carnal, earthly desires, our natural desires, and change us. God can do that, right? God can change us. He can do this. He can change us, right? He created us. He can change us. He can change a caterpillar to a butterfly. He can change us. It's a miracle of God. Let him change us. Get our lives in harmony, and then watch him work. Sit back and watch him work. Wait upon the Lord. Trust in him. So then the, uh, verse 8, when the lepers came to the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and hid them. And then they entered another tent and carried some of it from there and hid it. This is great. <laughs> they hid it, right? They hid the gold, they hid the silver, they had the food. They got no more problems, right? They got no more problems? 
they're still lepers. <laughs> right? They're still going to die pretty soon, right? They're still losing their fingers, their toes, their nose, their ears, right? They're still, they're still lepers. So they can eat all they want today. They can dress themselves all they want today. They can put all the jewels and gold on them today. They can take that gold and buy a whole bunch of donkey heads with it, you know, but they're still lepers. So their big problem still has not been solved. They got a meal for today, but their big problem is not cured yet. But they're going and they're doing this. They're having a ball at least today, right? And that's good. God bless them. Verse 9, then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are silent. If we wait until the morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Where'd that thought come from? God's spirit, right? God's spirit's moving upon their hearts, right? And they realize this is not good. We need to share this good news. We need to tell the good news to others. And we need to share it with others. And so conviction comes upon them. Only two hot tents, right? They go through, first tent, eat, hide, another tent, hide, and then it hits them. And they respond to that. And this might be the very reason why God does this whole thing. It might be for these four guys. Or gals, I don't know, just as lepers, right? These four people, these four lepers. It might be for them. Was it for the king? Was the king praying? Was the city praying like Nineveh? Were they sackcloth and ashes and praying and, and asking God to come and deliver them and help them? No. So why did God do this? Why did God do this amazing miracle for them? Why did God chase the Syrians away? Help me out here. Because he loved them. <laughs> he loved them even though they were disobedient. He loved the king. He loved that, that uh, servant who was you know, doubtful. And he loved the lepers. And he loved the lady who ate her son. And he laid, loved the lady who hid her son. He loved them all. And he's wanting them to see him. And he's jumping up and down, I'm over here, I'm over here, I can help you. You don't have to eat bird poop. I've got all of heaven, I've got all the earth, I've got all the universe. I can help you. And he's trying to get our attention today as well. Sometimes he allows calamities to come into our lives to get our attention. And to trust. And he's been very merciful to us. He's amazingly merciful here. This is a story full of mercy. The city didn't deserve it. That nation didn't deserve it. And he protected them and chased the Syrians away. With just a little sound. Poof, and they're gone. And they provided for the whole city all this food. God's been providing for this world, though we don't deserve it. God's been providing for us, though we don't deserve it. God is a merciful God, and God is a good God. And he gets the attention of the lepers. He presses their mind to go to the Syrians. If they didn't obey that, no one would know. They all would have made just starved to death with empty tents out there. But they heard the word of God, and they were impressed, and they followed it. And then when the conviction came that they were being selfish... They heeded the conviction. They listened to the voice. And they responded. This whole story is for them. Because God didn't want them to be leprous.
for eternity. The Bible doesn't say that they get healed here on this earth, but they got healed here on this earth. Not of the external leprosy, but they got healed of the internal leprosy that was eating away their soul. And God healed them. Because they obeyed the word of the Lord. They obeyed his impression. And they said, let's tell the king. And then they go and do it. God impresses each one of our hearts and we need to be obedient to his call. Obedient to his word. Following in his way. And so they told the gatekeepers who told the king, and the king arose in the night and said to his servants, the Syrians know that we are hungry. Therefore they are hiding in the field saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. Now, I mean, that's military reasoning. I mean, that's logic, right? The Syrians aren't dumb, you know? Why would they all of a sudden disappear? There's gotta be a reason for them to disappear. They must be hiding. You know, and they're waiting for it to come out, and they'll get us. And that makes sense. It wouldn't actually be a bad military move, right? They're so hungry, they're excited, all of them. Go for it, right? I mean, it makes sense. If Elijah hadn't told him that by tomorrow, we're going to have more food than we know what to do with. So he's not believing the word of the Lord. He's not seeing the connection between these two things. Elijah just said that to me, and now this is happening. Because he didn't believe Elijah. Did he behead Elijah? Obviously not, no. Right. And he said, if his head is not, if he's not beheaded by the today, may God do so to me and more also. And he didn't behead Elijah. Why not? He had the soldiers there, right? They came with him. Elijah just said, there's going to be more food tomorrow than you know what to do with. Prices are going to level out. Actually, you'd be pretty good. The soldier gets angry, says this thing. He says, they're going to see it, but you're not going to get to eat it. And that's where that part of the story ends. We don't know what happened, why they didn't behead him, what caused them to turn away. But God's able to protect us. No matter what the threat, no matter what the intent, no matter what they say, no matter how much might they have, or how much power they have, or how much authority they have, if it's not time for us to die, they ain't gonna die. And if it's time for us to be beheaded, there were others, James, John, others beheaded, that's okay. Paul, it's okay, you know, I mean, if that's our time, then it's our time. But if it's not our time, don't fret it either way. The intent was there, and somehow or another, the king left Elijah's house without killing him. And God will sustain us as long as he has a purpose for us here on this earth. And so the king doesn't believe, he doesn't put the connection together. They think they're plotting some. And so one of his servants said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or they may become like all those who are consumed, but let us send them and see. He's got the reasoning like the lepers. You know, what do we got to lose? <laughs> we'll send some soldiers out with five horses. If they get killed, well, okay, so we lost five horses and some men, right? What do we got to lose?
But if they stay here, we're going to starve to death anyway. Right? So let's send them out. Let's at least see what's going on. That's pretty good reasoning. And so they took two chariots with the horses, and they went in the direction of the Syrian army, and all the road to the Jordan was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. They're lightening their load all the way. Go, horses, go, faster. <laughs> Throwing off shields and helmets and swords. And just taking off. God put fear in them. When they really had nothing to fear. Humanly speaking. So again, no matter how big the army is, how threatening the king is, whatever your situation is, the judge, lawsuit, whatever, you know, whatever. Landlord, your boss, or parents, or kids, or whoever's threatening you, whatever your issue is, your neighbor. God is bigger, and God is able to chase them so far, they're just throwing everything away. You can walk out of it with more than they had to begin with. And turn the tables 100% the opposite way. 180 degrees the opposite way. That's what he does here. So they're running. Throwing it all away. Verse 16, the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seeth of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two sheaths of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. The word of the Lord is sure. The word of the Lord is guaranteed. You know, we're so stupid. We believe these banks that tell us we got this guarantee. You know, we believe the companies that say that you buy this, you got this guarantee. Buy these cars or things or whatever. Guarantee, this warranty. Remember my mom bought a car and had this bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty. Sounds pretty good. She said, something went wrong. We brought it in. They said, it's not covered by the warranty. I said to the guy, I said, look, the part is over here. The bumper's there. The bumper's there. What do you mean it's not covered? What a bumper-to-bumper. Oh, we believe all these people with their warranties and guarantees and we don't believe God who's proven himself over and over and over again where this world and the companies of this world have proven over and over again if it's no longer in their best interest they're not going to hold to their side of the bargain or they'll go bankrupt and change their names you know close the business and then just change the name same people run the same gamut but we'll believe them over and over again. And yet God has been faithful since the very beginning of time, has always come through 100% of the time, and we don't believe his guarantees. We don't take him at his word. We don't believe his promises. If we will, then he can come again. Trust in the Lord. If we really believed him, we would never worry. If we really believed him, we'd never get angry. If we really believed him, we would not get anxious, we would not fret. We'd sit there like Elijah and the elders. Doesn't matter what the king threatened to do. They can come in storming out. We can say, God promises tomorrow there'll be more than enough to eat. God promises to take me to heaven. God promises he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. I don't care what you say or what you're threatening to do. 
God promises. God promises he'll give me the power to endure to the end. Trust God's promises. Hold fast to his word. Believe him. And believe his word and his prophets, and we shall prosper. That's a promise in itself. Believe the word of God. And it came to pass, as it always does. And the king, the king had appointed the officer who had mocked Elijah, the windows of heaven, in the gate, car in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken, saying, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Wow. Now, of course, the peace-loving, you know, mercy doctrines don't like this part of the story. Maybe leave this verse off, right? But we see again the beautiful balance of God's word. Absolute tremendous mercy and love to an undeserving king and an undeserving people. Right? The lady who ate her son, she's out there getting the food, right? The king's out there getting the food. The leper's got the food. God, amazing mercy that God pours out. But also there's judgment. God is a balance of both. God is an equal balance of both. Mercy and judgment together. Mercy and judgment combined. It's always got to be both. There is always both. Throughout the scriptures. And we see it manifested the most at the pinnacle of earth's history on Calvary. Where Yeshua dies for us. Amazing mercy. And yet amazing judgment. He has to die. The ultimate judgment, the father allowing his son to die for the punishment of the sins of the world. Mercy and judgment. There really is no true mercy and there really is no true love without God's judgment upon rejection of his love and rejection of his mercy, rejected, rejection of his goodness. Rejection of his word. Rejection of his law. They go together. Perfectly understand, understood, rightly understood. Mercy and judgment uphold each other. God's throne is built on mercy and judgment. In the Psalms it says, mercy and judgment have kissed each other. We don't understand that. We don't grasp that. We're not understanding the scriptures correctly. We're not understanding the Messiah correctly. We're not understanding his purpose and his divine plan for us. But we see it right here as we've seen it in many of the stories throughout all the stories of the scriptures. Throughout God's word. Mercy and judgment blended together. Trusting in the Lord, having faith in him. And so as we pray together, Tonight, whatever area God has spoken to you, maybe there's an area of your life, maybe you feel like you're surrounded by soldiers and armies and it seems like there's no way out. Maybe you're in a tight place, a desperate place. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you don't have enough for food. Maybe 
You don't have enough to pay your bills. Maybe someone's threatening you. Maybe you feel threatened. Maybe there's some trouble in your mind. Maybe someone's threatening to fire you or take your job or ruin your life. Maybe there's some despair. Maybe there's some uncertainty about the future. Looks bleak. I mean, it seems like no matter what you do, you die. No matter what you do, you lose. If I go in the city, I lose. If I stay out of the city, I lose. If I go to the enemy, I lose. Seems like there's no hope. I'd like you to just surrender whatever that problem is before the feet of the Lord and trust in Him. If you need your faith strengthened, if you need the faith of the Lord to come into you as we pray, ask the Lord to take away my unbelief. Fill me with faith. If you're doubting God's word, if you've been in rebellion against God's word, you've been mocking God's word, can he open the windows of heaven for me? Can he provide for me if I put him first? If you've been doubting that, scoffing that, obviously God thought that was more serious than the lady who ate her son. Maybe you've been chewing your son. Maybe you've been chewing God's people. Maybe you've been eating away at them. Maybe you've been condemning and critical the king, blaming everything on Elijah. Maybe you've been blaming others for your problems. Maybe you've been blaming others for your situation. And you want to take accountability for it. And you want to ask God to take away that criticism and that gossip and that backbiting. Ask God to give you love and faithfulness, mercy and kindness. Maybe the hand of God is hanging over you and judgment to come and like the lepers you realize if we continue in this selfish way judgment surely is going to come upon us in the morning you want to surrender it now allow God to remove the sin out of your heart and mind allow God to set you free to give you a new heart and a new mind and a new life and a new character and new actions following his word following his way any of these areas or anything else God has spoken to you tonight as we've read from his word and invited his spirit to speak to us. Whatever God's been speaking to your heart, whatever's encouraged you. Maybe you're fearing the future. You can see now again from this story, God comes through. God comes through in powerful ways. And the enemies of the Lord have us surrounded. And it'll seem like despair. And the troubles of this world will be greater than anything else. At that last moment. 11.59 and 59 seconds. God will come through of Earth's clock. God will come through. And we just need to trust him. And we'll eat plenty at God's supper table. Just trusting in him. You're fearful about the future, not sure if you'll have the faith to stand. Ask God to give you the faith now. And the courage now. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful you are the almighty God. You are our El Shaddai. You are God, our provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the one who's got the whole world and the whole universe in your hand. And we want to lay our lives at your feet. We want to lay our problems and our situation and our concerns and our fears and our worries. We want to lay them before you. And we want to ask for you to work mightily in our behalf. Lord, whatever situation or circumstances, whatever way you're speaking to us tonight, we ask, Lord, that you would work and do your work and fulfill your plan. Fulfill your words, fulfill your purpose in our lives. 
cleanse us, fill us, renew us, strengthen us, live out of us for your honor and for your glory in Yeshua's holy name.